Hi, and welcome to the Medicine for Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn Stiff. I'm a dietitian turned physician passionate about empowering people to use their lifestyle as medicine. Many of the chronic diseases and cancers that affect our world can be prevented. I'm on a mission to provide you with evidence-based tools and education so you can implement realistic and sustainable changes into your life to combat disease, reach your health goals, and lead your best life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Let's begin this journey together. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me for this week's episode of the Medicine for Life podcast. I hope you were able to catch the last two episodes that were on my real passion, uh, intuitive and mindful eating. So I love all things health and well-being, but those two areas are basically what has transformed my life and I feel can transform all of the lives of people who are struggling with their relationship with food, with this chronic diet cycling, and with weight bias. These are two areas that I feel I need to shout from the rooftops to teach everyone about. And today's episode is a special episode. I've never done this before, uh, but I was a guest on another physician's podcast, Dr. Michelle Dang, who is the host of the Wish Well podcast, all about integrative women's health. And I spoke about my experience with food, what brought me into initially dietetics and then ultimately to medicine, and how intuitive and mindful eating have played into that. I thought this would be a really great follow-up to show the practical application of these tools um, based on what we've been talking about recently. So I hope that you enjoy this podcast. Please let me know what you think of having guests uh, on the podcast. I know this is a little flipped since I'm the guest, um, but you know, getting to listen to more than one uh, voice the entire time. And um, if you do enjoy this, I will definitely try to start bringing some guests on and do more of an interview format from time to time. And be sure to head over to the Wishwell podcast, which you can find on iTunes and likely any other podcast platform. Uh, Dr. Dang is doing an amazing job of bringing some leaders in integrative women's health to the forefront and giving them a voice that I think so many are grateful to hear and are so inspiring. So be sure to head over and check it out. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Michelle Dang with the Wish Well Podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Lynn Stiff. So Lynn has a very interesting story that I'm so excited to have her on the podcast to share her journey with us. She is a dietitian turned physician. So I'm super excited to have her on the podcast. And um, actually, funny story, I connected with her on Instagram. I listened to some clips of her podcast. So she has her own podcast, Medicine for Life podcast. And I listened to some clips um, that she posted on Instagram. And I thought that it was very interesting. And I really wanted to have her on the podcast. So we were able to make it happen. So I'm so excited to have her here today. So welcome, Lynn. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to connect. The stories that you have on your podcast are so inspiring. So I'm very honored to be able to be here. Oh, thank you so much. And you're very inspiring as well. So we will just jump right in and kind of just get started. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your own personal health and wellness journey, any phrases or words that describe it? Sure. Uh, before the podcast, I had um, reflected on how I would describe my own personal journey because a lot of what I do is helping other people with their journeys. And so I don't focus on myself as much. Um, but I had thought ever evolving kind of described 
how my journey has changed over the years. Um, so I first got interested in health and wellness when I was a teenager. Um, I thought that I had very, um, you know, noble reasons, but I think it was more a lot of uh, self-doubt in who I was and kind of wanting to fit some stereotypes. And so I, I had taken my beliefs around health a little extreme and had developed some disordered eating during that time. Um, but I was very fascinated and infatuated with nutrition. Um, and because of that, I decided to, you know, maybe pursue medicine, maybe nutrition. Ultimately, I initially did dietetics and, um, and I, I kind of worked through my own personal beliefs around nutrition over the years, um, because I started off believing that, you know, calories in, calorie out, calories out, and that, you know, your weight determined your wealth and, and purpose in the world. And, um, you know, the goal was to have this like quote unquote, perfect, um, view and approach to health. And as I kind of worked through my training and got into practice, I started to realize that all those things I had believed and had been taught were pretty far from the truth for what actually contributes to complete wellness. Um, and so I, you know, kind of started experimenting with myself with, um, you know, reevaluating my relationship with food and, uh, reevaluating, uh, you know, what weight really means. Is it as important as we think? And, um, just kind of began diving in a little bit to that. And as at the same time, I, when I was working as a dietitian, I kind of knew I really wanted to focus on more than just, uh, nutrition itself. And so during that time, I, um, finished my prerequisites for medical school and went on to medical school. And, um, you know, my uh, evolution of health and well-being continued throughout medical school training and um, into practice. I'm a family medicine trained physician um, and I wear a couple different hats, but um, in general, I've really focused a lot on kind of lifestyle medicine and helping empower individuals to realize that, you know, health and well-being is completely attainable and that you don't necessarily have to subscribe to what we hear um, from large, uh, large scale media about what it means to be healthy. Well, that sounds like quite a journey. And I kind yeah. of want to go back to kind of dissect this a little bit. So you talked about kind of and then going into nutrition. So can you kind of tell us about your journey with that and um, how you kind of um, evolved with, you know, um, the whole disordered eating? Oh, sure. I actually, yeah. And in the moment, I, I didn't really realize that I had disordered eating because I ate like perfect, you know, with quotes. Um, you know, I had tons of vegetables and fruits. I tried to limit anything that, you know, the media told me was bad, including gluten and, you know, would cut meat out pretty dramatically. And, and I got to the point where I could tell you the exact amount of calories and anything that was in front of me and how many calories I had eaten that day and every, every day before for the last week. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, during that time, I also was losing weight, obviously, because I was restricting my calories, but in my mind, it was, you know, validated. And it was that, you know, this is because this is what you need to do to be healthy. And, and this is what everyone should be doing. Um, and so I, during that time, because I was so ingrained with food and counting calories, I actually really enjoyed cooking. Um, cause I would, I don't know what it is. And I, I'm not sure if others who have had struggles with disordered eating can explain it as well, but, um, I think it was this infatuation that develops when you can't have something. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I got really into cooking and trying, um, ways to cook, uh, less tasty things to make them tasty. <laughs> so, you know, th to try to make them a little bit more like, uh, something I would have normally eaten, uh, mm -hmm. pre all of this. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I, 
I became so ingrained in it. And then a few people began commenting about how like, you're looking really thin. Is everything okay? And I just kind of brushed it off as if it was no big deal. Um, but it wasn't until um, it was right before I went on to my graduate program in nutrition um, that I was in India for a summer. Uh, it was just for a month, uh, the August before uh, the end of uh, undergrad. And um, I had stepped on a scale randomly there and it was in kilograms, but it was like surprisingly low. I like thought the scale was wrong. And it was like, kind of, that was uh, the first moment when I realized like, maybe I do have a problem because this is, my BMI is far under 18 at this point. Like this is oh, not wow. healthy or okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, when I went back, I kind of just continued on my ways initially. And, but then during my graduate school program, I was introduced to concepts of health at every size and mindful and intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. And um, they talked a little bit about disordered eating and specifically something called orthorexia. Um, okay. And in dietetics, a lot of dietitians have similar beliefs around food and um, that's almost what drives them into it. And so I think that kind of validated me in undergrad because I saw all these people just like me doing the same thing. And so I thought that it was completely okay to do. I'm sorry, my daughter just came in the room. Um, I thought Mm -hmm. it was completely okay to do. Uh, But then in grad school, when they started challenging that, I think they obviously knew that this is an issue for many dietitians and they wanted to just kind of give a lifeline that it doesn't need to be this way. You know, you can have a healthy relationship with food and it's not just about how you look on the outside. It's really about how you feel on the inside. And, um, And so it didn't happen overnight. I think it probably took another seven years of working on this uh, for me to really be completely at terms with, with my weight, which was never elevated, which is always what shocked me. Like, why was I so dissatisfied? But I think media portrays this idea um, that you always have to be thinner. And so it probably took seven years. And it was after my first child when I sort of came to terms with everything um, and realized that, you know, not counting calories doesn't mean that I'm just going to gain a lot of weight. And if I did, what does it matter? It's I'm still who I am regardless of what I look like. Um, And so those beliefs have really filtered into how I approach people um, in relation to lifestyle medicine as well. That's really, really um, quite an evolution. And um, which is interesting, I think, with your background being a dietitian, because something that um, I've come across quite a bit with um, some of the female physicians that I've interviewed on the podcast is that we don't have that... um, we weren't taught a whole lot about nutrition in medical school. So it's really nice that you had that background um, because you, um, you were able to kind of bring that to your patients and to your practice uh, on a different level than some of the other people who don't have that much of a background. Yeah, definitely. And it was interesting because during training, people would make that comment a lot. Mm-hmm. And it was during the time I was kind of recovering from all of this. And so mm-hmm. um, I actually almost got like very resistant. And I'm like, it's not really that big of a deal about nutrition. Like, you know, it's blown out of proportion. It's, it's mm-hmm. not as it's important, but it's not. And I kind of would waffle around with it because I was trying to grapple with this like relationship I had had with nutrition before that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had just taken away so much, like all of my twenties were gone to this, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I, I wouldn't go out and to parties if I thought that there might be food that would be tempting or foods that I shouldn't eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't do different social functions that um, were focused around food and even like family gatherings, I'd spend all the time cooking instead of eating. And it really took away a lot of my life. And and so at first I had a kind of a pretty bitter relationship with nutrition and I didn't think I would do anything more with it. Uh, But then after, as I got um, into residency and afterwards, I realized it really is something I'm passionate about. And I really Mm -hmm. want to help change this conversation around nutrition and well-being. 
mm-hmm. because what you eat is so important in how you function and how you feel and it can help with mitigating so many diseases. Um, and so I've been trying to kind of find this balance still with, you know, how much do I focus on foods that are like great and not great? Because if we do too much focusing, it can spin horribly wrong a different direction, even though it's well-intentioned. And so I, I'm still myself working on that balance. Um, but I do agree. I'm so grateful now that I have that background so I can bring it to my patients. Well, not only your patients, um, how have you um, brought it to your own personal life now with you know three young kids and, and your family? So I think I'm so grateful that I have this insight into what can happen when you focus mm-hmm. too much on good and bad. Because even our kids, when we're trying to talk about you know, why they should consider eating their vegetables. Um, previously, based on how I was raised and what I had believed when I was in my like late teens and twenties was that, you know, foods are good and bad and you need to eat them because they're good. Desserts are only a reward. And, um, you know, I would be going down the path of forcing my children to eat their vegetables before they could have any dessert, which would just further ingrain this idea that things are good and bad and that you, you shouldn't want the um, ice cream, even though it tastes so good and it's almost sinful for you to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I think that that's really helped with how I can address this with them. And I just talk about health, not in a size uh, function at all, but more just how it makes you feel. Um, And that, you know, carrots can help help your eyesight or (laughs) carrots, Mm -hmm. you know, help give give you energy so that you're able, your muscles can grow because they have the vitamins that your body needs to grow. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, try not to push my children to eat vegetables, but just doing it by example. Mm -hmm. And it it seems to be working, you know, my kids are still young. So two, almost four and then almost six. Mm -hmm. And they always go through this phase from, you know, two until four, I guess, where they (laughs) refuse all vegetables. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we just continue to be persistent, but uh, my son has come around the oldest and my middle daughter is starting to come around. And so I'm hopeful that this approach will continue to help. Um, But if I had not addressed this previous, I am very confident that I would be walking in the shoes that many of my colleagues walked in with mothers who are very restrictive and kind of ingrained them to have disordered eating from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause my disordered eating, I'm confident didn't come from my parents. Um, maybe the clean plate club thing didn't help <laughs> my, <laughs> me very much, but uh, my parents, uh, they, they did occasional dieting, but it was never anything that was super ingrained in me. Um, it was my own kind of volition because I struggled a lot with self belief and perfectionism. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, if I'm just, you know, thinner and healthy, people will like me. And so um, that was kind of my own creation as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can't imagine how, how much of, more of a struggle it could be if this was ingrained in me from even a younger age. So I'm, I'm so grateful that I'm hopefully, who knows what will happen with my children, but hopefully setting them up for a positive relationship with food. Yeah, I think that's really important. And and to your point, I mean, it, it was so difficult for me. And I don't know when you went to high school, but when high school, for me, I went to an all-girl high school. And so my experience was, um, fortunately, I didn't have disordered eating, but I had a lot of friends in my circle who, like, worshipped Kate Moss <laughs> and worshipped mm-hmm. the way look. And so they developed those types of disordered eating and thought beliefs. So, I mean, I think at, at the very least, if we can provide a good foundation for our children, um, then, you know, hopefully, like you said, you can set them up to have more healthy, healthy eating, and, you know, um, and, and yeah, it's funny. I just have a quick, really funny story to share. I didn't grow up eating like Brussels sprouts. That was just not a vegetable that we ate in my house. Um, but like in the last couple of years, uh, my, my, my son eats a lot of vegetables. And so he, that's his favorite thing is Brussels sprouts. I even have a video of us making air fryer Brussels sprouts together. So that's I think wonderful. if you have kids, yeah, it's, it's fun to involve them in the cooking process. So it's not just about like eating the food, but also like making the food as well. 
absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I, we have a garden and I, and I mean, oh, there nice. are studies published about this too, where, you know, kids who, who actually help grow food in their garden, they're more likely to eat them. And my kids will go out and pick kale and just eat it in the garden, which shocks me. <laughs> You have a kale, you have kale in your garden. That's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We, right now we have spring vegetables. Um, and so we have all greens at the moment. We'll get some other stuff soon, but yeah, they just go out and eat a piece of kale every day and then eventually yeah. we'll harvest it, you know, and, and make a yeah. salad or something with it. But yeah, that's so nice. Um, so just want to shift gears and can you tell, share with us a little bit about what your, your clinical practice looks like? Sure. My, um, professional uh, track has been very uh, fragmented and kind of all over the place. Um, Because of this, you know, push and pull with uh, nutrition and wellness, when I finished residency, I knew that if I did primary care, I would really want to focus on preventive medicine. Um, And I knew that the way I would want to do it was not supported with standard, you know, outpatient practice. It's just, there's too many metrics that you have to meet and not enough time with the patients. And so I initially went into hospital medicine um, just because I liked the you know, the drive of it and the intellectual piece of it. So I, my first year out, I was a hospitalist. Um, and then close to a year and a half, I guess, is when I um, started shifting gears a little. So I was half-time hospitalist, half-time uh, faculty at a, a family medicine residency program, where I've been able to really curate some of this lifestyle medicine stuff that I'm really passionate about. And so that's been exciting to see. And I'm hoping to grow that program um, throughout our region. So because there aren't any other lifestyle medicine programs. Um, And then I'm also planning to start an integrative medicine fellowship this summer uh, through the Andrew Weil uh, Center. And um, my goal again is to bring that back into the residency program um, with, I think I'll probably expand my, um, my time there. So I'm not just half time anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but in all of this, you know, there was this journey to figure out what am I doing? Like, I just, I'm kind of floating around figuring out, like, I like this, I don't like that. And um, there's not really a position out there that has everything that I desire to do. Um, so about a year ago now, I started my business, Nutrition Health Life. And this is just like a side um, uh, wellness business that doesn't, I, I feel weird calling it a business because my goal is not really to make money. <laughs> it's just this mm-hmm. entity on the side. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what my podcast is through. And I have a blog as well. Um, and it's focused on empowering individuals to make uh, realistic and sustainable diet and lifestyle changes with a focus not on weight, but on behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I create different content around those um, features. And then um, I started the podcast just this last January to sort of augment that as well. So we'll see where that goes and um, where things kind of go with my, my work as well. But, you know, ultimately I really want to, I, I hope that I can create a wellness Institute that has lifestyle medicine services, integrative services, you know, training for professionals, uh, the, the, those lifestyle integrative services would be for patients. Um, and then, so training for professionals with a certificate or fellowship options. And then I really am passionate about community wellness. And so having um, some sort of arm of that being really ingrained in the community and supporting different um, enterprises within the community that are trying to help do these same things around empowering individuals to make sustainable life changes on their own and um, feel like they have the resources they need. I mean, I, you're speaking my language. <laughs> I mean, the whole integrative medicine fellowship, I, inter- I completed that in 2018 and I interviewed quite a few physicians who also completed that. And it's interesting because you mentioned in the very beginning, um, 
when we're talking about your clinical, um, what you do clinically, you mentioned that you felt very fragmented, but I have to disagree. It doesn't sound fragmented to me at all. I mean, it kind of goes back to your words that you picked, your phrase, which was ever evolving. I mean, I think that this is your personal evolution um, clinically. And I think that all the things that you mentioned as far as the Wellness Institute and the community wellness, all of those um, are an evolution of what you want to do and what you want to offer for people. So I think it's beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, it, it felt fragmented in the midst of it. And I think we're always, I mean, I know I'm harder on myself than other people are on me, but I felt sort of just like, I, you know, I make a decision and then six months later, I'm like, actually, no, that's not right. <laughs> They're all little pieces. Yeah. They're like all little pieces to the same puzzle, you know, and yeah. I, I personally have used that word. I didn't use fragmented, but I use the word disjointed a lot. Like, I feel like I have all these ideas, but, but in reality, they're all parts of the same puzzle. So mm-hmm. I think it's really beautiful what you're trying to do. Um, yeah, and I'm so, so grateful that um, I've gotten to this place. I, I had, I struggled a lot. I um, recently uh, mentioned that article that I posted uh, for SheMD, but, you know, I struggled a lot with perfectionism and just the belief in myself. I carried a lot of shame around and it took, it was after my last daughter was born that I, um, you know, finally got therapy and uh, did EMDR, which has just radically changed my life and kind of brought me back to the person I know that I'm meant to be. And, and what is um, EMDR? So people- oh, sure. Um, it's eye movement desensitization, desensitization something. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> EMDR. So, um, but it's a type of therapy that um, uses side-to-side motion. Um, and uh-huh. so buzzers or sounds. And it's more about feeling because I'm very intellectual. I could talk forever and dig into my thoughts and feelings but I, I have walls put up to support those thoughts and feelings. You know, I could rationalize any uh, irrational belief or feeling that I have, but EMDR gets more into feeling into yourself and addressing some of those things that maybe you can't even bring words to because they're so hard to talk about. And um, I mean, it's, it's a really crazy process. It was created for uh, PTSD. Um, but, and so it kind of dives into maybe some traumas people have had in their past um, as well. And, and like why you have these beliefs. And so there were well, some things that I had struggled with that brought me a lot of shame. And I had realized it was really hindering my ability to be live into who I wanted to be. Um, and so it wasn't until after that, you know, year of being a hospitalist that I really felt like I knew what I was here to do. And so I'm so grateful that I had that evolution there because in that I learned so much more about myself and then got my voice back because with all the shame I was feeling, if I would speak up, I would just flush and would just shut down and felt so embarrassed. Like I didn't belong as a physician and I didn't belong where I was. Um, And now I'm at a place where like, I'm talking to people who are the head of my health system and, you know, trying to come up with ideas to create new programs. And, and I'm just so happy that now I, I do have that voice and I'm hoping I'll be able to create some of these bigger things um, as I move forward. Yeah. I mean, you're what you mentioned in terms of feeling the shame and being a perfectionist, we have all been there. So, I mean, your journey is definitely very relatable to so many people, not just women physicians, but just people in general. I know I felt that myself as well. I mean, putting you, you probably know you started your podcast in January and you mentioned talking to people, you know, um, about creating some programs. I mean, it's, it's, it's a part of you that you're making yourself vulnerable to people. And that is really scary. And I think it's, it's commendable that you, you're, you're doing it, you know, and you have such great ideas and great plans for the future. 
Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm so grateful for Brene Brown. <laughs> I feel like yes. she is the reason why, <laughs> you know, that plus, plus EMDR has just changed my life. I was at one of those meetings and um, coming up with some ideas and like, I, I really want to do like X, Y, and Z. And they're like, well, you know, we, we usually just kind of have round pegs here. Do you think you could be a round peg? I'm like, I've never been a round peg. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm a square peg. This is not, so we're going to find a way to make this work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, Brene Brown, dig deep, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, um, all that work is, is essential, but, um, but you have, we have, we all have so much to offer. So, um, so we are running out of time, but I just want to make sure I give you the opportunity to share if you have any advice you can offer to others who may be struggling with disordered eating or, or anything. I think a, a big piece is to ask yourself, because in the midst of having disordered e- eating, you frequently think like, this isn't right. Why can't I just be happy? Why am I not content? And I think when you have those questions, that's a huge sign that you need to dig deeper into that. And it's hard to do. It's so vulnerable, just like what we were just talking about. Uh, but there is so much life on the other side of it. And you don't need to you know, stay kind of small and locked away and, and, you know, just following the rules. There's so much more that you can do. And um, so I would just encourage you to, you know, find someone that is a safe person that you can disclose even a, a snippet of that to, whether it's a counselor or a family member or friend, um, because there are so many women, especially if you're a woman in medicine listening to this, so many women in medicine struggle with perfectionism and, and shame, as you mentioned, because, I mean, it's how we got to where we are. You know, we have strived so much to be the best and to do things so perfectly so that we can be great at medical school and, and, and residency and, and get to the place that we think we want to be. But sometimes along the way we lose ourselves. And I, it's just so important that if you're, if you ever have like even a little twinge that something isn't right and not connecting, you need to lean into that because it's probably that little voice inside you that you've kind of shut down for so long telling you like, there's more to this than what you're doing. Great advice. And Lynn, so it's been such a pleasure to chat with you and hear your journey. Um, If people want to reach out to you and connect with you, other than the Medicine for Life podcast, how can they reach you? Sure. I have a blog at nutritionhealthlife.com. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook. It's at nutrition.health.life. Awesome. Thank you again so much for sharing your ever-evolving journey with us today. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad that I got to have this opportunity with you. Take care. Bye. That's all I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and hearing my story. Please be sure to rate the podcast below. And again, be sure to check out the Wish Well podcast. Can't wait to chat with you next week. Take care and be well.
While I make every effort to broadcast correct information, I am still learning. The views expressed on this podcast are solely my own, based on extensive experience and research. The views of this podcast are not those of any organizations that I am currently or previously affiliated with. If you have any concerns about views or opinions expressed in this podcast, please contact me directly at lynn.stiff at nutritionhealthlife.com. One doctor may have a different way of doing things from another, and I am simply presenting my views on how to use diet and lifestyle approaches to improve your health. By listening to this podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice or to treat any medical conditions that either yourself or others are experiencing. Please consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Do not ignore or delay obtaining professional medical advice because of information accessed or otherwise obtained from or on behalf of Nutrition Health Life LLC or Lynn Stiff MD.